shelter from the storm. Welcome to the Shelter from the Storm podcast, a daily walk through the Bible with me, Pastor Jason Poling, as we seek shelter in Jesus Christ from the storms of this life. It's a great day to glorify God. This is Pastor Jason Poling coming to you after a long break, a long absence from the Shelter from the Storm podcast. Uh, it has been crazy getting the church back up and meeting in the physical space. We finally had the regulations changed in the county and the state. And so it's been quite a whirlwind over the past week, two weeks, getting everything ready. So I decided I needed a little bit break from doing uh, this podcast, but I'm back at it. So I want to get through the book of Mark. I've enjoyed our time together in this book. It's a wonderful gospel. And uh, if you recall, actually a bunch of you have caught up on all the podcasts. I've seen a ton of listens um, on all the different episodes. And so uh, you're all caught up. So we're in the book of Mark, chapter 8. I'm in the New American Standard Version. And we were just talking before. I had to go back and listen to the last episode because I forgot where we were. But we were talking about... Um, the, the feeding of the 4,000, the miraculous feeding, and of course comparing that to the 5,000, and just showing the, the fact that it was so easy for the disciples and the people that day, Pharisees, everyone, to keep demanding signs and never really fully believing. And so the second miracle of the 4,000 um, had more resources, physical resources, but fed less people and had less leftovers. 5,000 feeding had less fish and loaves, less resources, but fed more people and had more leftovers. And so it's sort of a diminishing returns. And really what it means is sign-seeking, demanding God to keep proving himself in, in order for you to believe, uh, diminishes the returns. Basically, at some point, it's like he says the yeast of the, the Pharisees. That unbelief yeast, it makes, um, it kind of messes up the whole loaf, the whole dough. And you actually get less out of it. You know, he, too much, uh, to uh, the one who has much, even much more is given. To the one who has little, even what he has will be taken away. So the one who has much faith and believes God and his word and what he has come to do and, and sees Jesus and says, yes, I believe, help my unbelief, that kind of humble posture, they will be given more. But the one, more faith and growth in their, in their walk. But the one who says, I don't believe, I'm still struggling, I, I, I need more signs, even the little bit of faith, if that's even faith, that they have will be taken away from them. They will decrease in their ability. And we've seen that in people's lives. I mean, maybe you've experienced that yourself uh, or know people who just can't quite believe and they keep demanding God to give them more evidence. And it just seems to spiral them further into doubt and um, unbelief. So that's kind of where we were at. And so it kind of brought us to this pivotal moment in the book of Mark. Mark sort of hinges right here in Mark chapter 8, in the passage we're going to look at today in verse 22 and following. And it really hinges on this, you know, the whole book, the, the Gospels are all about who is this Jesus? Who, what is his identity? And then once we figure that out, that he's the Son of God, the Savior of the world, what's he, what's he come to do? What's his mission? And so that's kind of where the pivotal point here is in Mark chapter 8. So let's dive in here, verse 22. They came to Bethsaida. They brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village, and after spitting on his eyes, laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? Now, this is kind of odd, right? The whole spitting on his eyes. Uh, Jesus has done that, uh, I think, one or two other times where maybe he's uh, spit in the mud and, and put the mud on the, on the person's eyes. It's 
you know, there's different perspectives on this. Uh, some think because the Jewish uh, healers and, and rabbis and Pharisees, they, for whatever reason, believe that saliva had some kind of properties to help people's eye issues. Uh, kind of bizarre. Um, and so maybe Jesus is sort of mocking that or mimicking it to kind of help people see that he's doing a healing act, but he's actually not all, he doesn't always heal that way. And so maybe he's sort of saying, this is not necessary, but I'm going to do it this way anyway. So you can see that I'm sort of mocking this, uh, this process that the rabbis are using when real, in reality, the healing power just simply comes from me, Jesus is saying. That could be it. Others are saying that when he spits in the mud, and he doesn't do it in this particular instance, but uh, spits in the mud and he, he kind of takes from the dust of the earth, kind of harkens back to the creation account, that God had the miraculous power to take dust and to form man. And so Jesus is basically saying, I am that creator. I can take dust and I can reform, recreate man and heal him in, in something very significant like the healing of the blind man's eyes. Um, and th- that comes from the other passage, of course, the mud. But we're not really sure to be honest, what is going on there. And and that happens sometimes in Scripture where there's things that are just, wow, we're not 100% sure. And that's okay. That's okay. But we do know one thing for sure. Jesus miraculously heals him. And he says, do you see anything? The man looks up and said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. So there's some lack of clarity. There's some blurriness there. He sees, but not clearly. Then again, Jesus laid his hands on the man's eyes, And he looked intently and was restored. And then he began to see everything clearly. He sent the man home to his home saying, do not even enter the village. And that goes back to some of the reasons why Jesus is trying to not um, promote the false view of him as an earthly uh, mere healer or mere physical Davidic king. He wants He's slowly uh, revealing his identity so people really understand who he is. That could be why he permits, does not permit him to go into the village. So this healing, twofold healing, it's not that Jesus was like unable to heal him the first time. It's not like Jesus, you know, put the spit on his eyes and and uh, and he's like, oh darn, this didn't work. What do I do now? No, I mean that that's not obviously that's not the case. This is Jesus we're talking about, we're talking about God, who can do anything. So what's the reason? Well, the reason is we see it very clearly in the passage that goes right after it. Jesus typically, when he tells parables or he does miracles, he uses all those things to kind of reveal a deeper spiritual truth to teach his disciples, including us, what is going on. So Jesus, verse 27, went out along with his disciples, who had just observed him healing this man, to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, who do people say that I am? So it's a question of identity. This is the pivotal moment in the book of Mark. Question of identity to the disciples. Question of clarity. Can they see clearly? They told him, saying, John the Baptist is what people say. And others say Elijah. But others, they say one of the prophets. And he continued by questioning them. But who do you say? And I think there's there's some emphasis on that you, although it's not in the text, the Greek text. But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said to Jesus, You are the Christ. There it is. That's the moment. The pivotal moment in this turning point of Mark where Jesus is seen by Peter, at least, to be this long-awaited Messiah, Mashiach, who has come to deliver the people of God from their sins, to bring them into the eternal kingdom. 
And then Jesus warns them to tell no one about him, right? So he's still, things aren't quite ready for the revealing. And again, we don't fully understand all the details of Jesus' timing and strategy, but clearly that's, that's one issue that's going on, as we talked about earlier. Verse 31, Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man, this Messiah, Son of Man is also declared, we see it in the prophets, and Ezekiel and Daniel, etc. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So Jesus breaks this huge news here in the book of Mark. His real intention, real mission, real purpose. And he was stating the matter plainly. He is not speaking in parables or in any kind of other way where they're kind of like, what are you saying? He's like, this will happen to me. And Peter, who just declared him to be the Christ, the suffering servant, Isaiah 53, Peter knew that text. But Peter switches again. Don't you love Peter? We're all kind of a little bit like him. Peter took Jesus aside. He imagined the audacity of Peter's like, hey man, you got this wrong, bro. You can't, you can't be talking this way, Jesus. And Jesus and Peter said, took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. But turning around and seeing his disciples, so Jesus uses this moment to instruct Peter and everyone, it's public rebuke, so that everyone gets it. Poor Peter. He rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. That must have hurt. Poor Peter just keeps failing so often. Oh, he, he reminds me of myself. But we can learn so much from him. I'm so glad for his, his story, his testimony here. Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's interests. He's got his mind mixed up. His, his goals are not God's goals. He's still really wanting to see this end up with a lot of fanfare and overcoming the Romans and all the respected religious leaders kind of looking to Jesus as their champion and their leader. And here Jesus is saying they're all going to kill him. Now he did say three days he's going to rise again, but for whatever reason, Peter misses that point, which is the case for all of us humans. Have you ever had a social media, Facebook feed sort of interaction, a long protracted one, you're trying to explain your point? And of course, people pick up on just a few things that you say and miss the whole rest of it. And they, and they lose the whole plot. And so Peter does the same here. He misses the plot. The resurrection is going to come. True victory. So Peter's rebuked. And he summons the crowd with his disciples, Jesus, and said to them, You know what? I'm going to wait till tomorrow to talk about that because that's a huge text. But you get the point here that the healing of the blind man is really a living symbol, living example of what is actually going on in the hearts of the disciples, including us. That there is a little bit of a seeing, a little bit of a healing that's taking place inside their hearts where they can actually see who Jesus is, the Christ, but yet they're not completely healed of their spiritual blindness. They can't quite yet see the true intent and purpose of Jesus, which is to be a suffering servant, one who would look weak to the rest of the world, including to the disciples, would look like a failure. But in fact, that Weakness is the greatest strength that the world has ever seen. The willingness of the Son of God to come down from His high privilege, take on our flesh, and be crucified and mocked and spit upon, hung naked on a criminal's tree on a cross to die for us. That is the most dramatic and powerful and beautiful act in human history, and it's changed the world. And so weakness brings about great strength. 
when it's done for the, for the sole purpose of the mission of God. So they couldn't see that. Perhaps you're struggling to see that. And uh, we're going to talk more about it as we go forward because the disciples eventually are able to see with clear eyes, like the blind man, what the whole point of this whole mission of Jesus and who Jesus was, was all about. God bless you guys. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for taking a few minutes today to dive into the Word of God with me. I always love hearing your feedback and questions. So you can email me at jason at cornerstoneyc.com. Looking forward to continue in the Word of God with you as we seek shelter from the storm in Jesus Christ.